Well, this morning we're continuing actually in our study of the book of Nehemiah, the study of the book of Nehemiah. You remember that he had led the people in a great challenge to rebuild the walls, to put back together uh, the, the holy, the, the nation, even though they were still under Persian rule, uh, to put back uh, their, their security, to put back their economic prosperity, but really, most importantly, to put back their spiritual health. Today we see as the wall was completed, as it was nearing completion, we see Nehemiah gathering the people together for some spiritual renewal. For some spiritual renewal. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 3. It says, they, the people, the leaders, Nehemiah, all of them, stood where they were and read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of an hour, or for a quarter of a day, not a quarter of an hour, that's usually what I think of. Oh, let's do devotions. Quarter of an hour. No, for a quarter of a day. <laughs> a quarter of an hour. And they spent another quarter of a day in confession and worshiping the Lord. Did, did you pick that up, right? A quarter of a day. Okay, 24 hours. I'd be you know, divided by four. Okay, six. Is that six hours? Okay, maybe it's just waking hours. I don't know how... Okay, it's somewhere between three and six hours, right? This is significant amount of time just spending that time with God. When have you taken that long of a break to spend just in God's word? But did you catch the rest of that verse? And they spent another quarter of a day confessing and worshiping the Lord their God. How long has it been since you have blocked out a day, one solid day to be before God. I remember one of the most vivid experiences of my life was back when I took a group of college students on a mission trip and we joined a, 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 this, this group of college students, 50,000 students gathered in a field out in Tennessee to spend one solid day in worship and in prayer. We were in tents. We camped out for three days. I mean, it felt like the tribes of Israel. I mean, it was kind of a cool experience. I thought, yeah, that was so good. Back in 2000, the college students of today aren't even, the ones that are alive weren't alive when that happened. How long has it been since we've gathered for one solid day before God? When I was doing a, a degree in seminary, uh, there were some times I took some classes. Um, I, one was out in Colorado, and it was, a, it was a class on spiritual health and spiritual life. And we were supposed to do lots of reading beforehand and get ready for class and do our papers and all of that kind of thing. But then all of a sudden, as we gathered for this class, um, you know, we only had like three or four days that we were actually there with the professor. And one of these days on your spiritual health, spiritual formation, he said, okay, today, here's what we're going to do. You're going to spend one day with God. You get a journal and you get a Bible, go out in the woods, go spend it with God. I got to be honest, I was a little bit mad. I'd paid all this. I flew all the way to Colorado. <laughs> I was paying for this class. I wanted to get all of these great spiritual insights from the professor. I wanted to just see all this spiritual growth happen in me because I, I, would, I, would, I can spend time with God on my own. I am paying for this class. I want some content here, right? It was a powerful experience for all of us. As we gathered that night as a group of, of pastors and others, just hearing how God spoke to us and the brokenness. And I mean, these are people who are spiritual professionals. But when they stopped and spent a day with God, just his word, letting God speak and nobody else, there was change. 
How long has it been since you've just really blocked out no phone calls, no emails, no responsibilities? I'm going to take a day with God. Hire some people to help take care of the kids for the day. I, I, trade it off with your spouse. I, call in, to, take a vacation day. What would it look like if you took a day with you and God? I think if real change is going to happen in our spiritual lives and in the church, we're going to have to commit some time to God. So today we're looking at making real commitments, real change in our lives. And if we're going to see real change in our lives, there's a couple things we're going to see from this passage in Nehemiah. Uh, Before it even begins, we need to have God speak to us about what those changes need to be. But to do so, we need to realize that these real change requires for us to see, um, make specific commitments, specific commitments. And the very first thing to do if we're going to make um, specific commitments to God is we need to be honest about where we are, honest about the situation we are in. We've got to take that hard look in the mirror to discover who we are. Look at how Nehemiah and the group did that. Not only did they spend this time with God, but in verse 33, it says that in all that has happened to us, after they spent this time with God, it says, in all that has happened to us, you, God, have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, in verse 34, our priests, our ancestors, they didn't follow your law. They didn't pay attention to your command or to the statutes that you wanted them to keep. They had to be honest about where they were. God, you've been righteous. You've been faithful. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us your son, Jesus, as that sacrifice for our sins. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've answered our prayers and provided again and again and again. But I've turned away. I've acted wickedly. I've been in the wrong. And not only me, but our leaders. Government leaders? Oh, absolutely. We just turn on the news. But our spiritual leaders, our pastors haven't been faithful. Our denominational leaders have not always been righteous. We, and it's not like, well, let's look at them because they are the ones that really should do good, not me. I mean, let's get them straight first, God. Then you can do No, no, no. It begins with me, but it's a realization that it's all of us before God. Lord, (laughs) we haven't been right. As we begin this, we need to really remember and always remember that great truth that Jesus has paid for our sins, that his death on this cross and the resurrection paid for those sins. We need to be brokenhearted, but we also know that we're forgiven. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're going to be honest with yourself this morning, if I'm going to be honest with myself this morning, I need to know that I have been unrighteous, that that I have been unfaithful, but God has been faithful. Not only faithful to provide, not only faithful to show me his laws, not only faithful with his Holy Spirit, but faithful in his forgiveness, that Jesus' death on the cross paid it all. He is faithful. He doesn't go back on his words. He is faithful. What's paid for is paid for. He doesn't change the, the, the cost. He doesn't up the price. He doesn't renegotiate the deal. God has completed the work. When Jesus said it is finished, 
on the cross, it was finished. Thank you, God. You have been righteous. You have been faithful. But their sins had consequences. And in verse 36, it says, but see, we're slaves today. We're under the rule of somebody else, slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruits and, and other good things that it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest, go to kings that you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they, as they please. We are in great distress. Sometimes I think that um, the Lord allows some things to happen in our lives. Sometimes disaster-y kind of things. Sometimes things that seem beyond our control. Sometimes situations that, that are very frustrating for us to go, we are in great distress. As a reminder, because if, if we didn't have the discipline that comes, I'm afraid that we would just ignore God. We wouldn't take that time for real reflection. But here when we see that, hey, we're in trouble. Our nation's in trouble. Our church is in trouble. Our family is in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in great distress. If we don't have that great distress, sometimes we don't seek the Lord. But know his calling. That when, as Nehemiah and the people saw where they were, even as they were trying to rebuild, as they cried out spiritually, they say, we're in great distress. That's actually where change begins. Recognizing where we are. Secondly, we've got to be willing to write down the changes we want to see. Like literally put them on a piece of paper and covenant with others. You, you've all done the New Year's resolutions, anybody? Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm good at those. I, I, I really feel like January is great for having New Year's resolutions and February is great for, for breaking them, you know, right? I mean, okay, going to the gym, that's one of my, that's my favorite. I'm going to get healthy every year. I, I really am. And, and every semester, really, because that's when change happens for me is every semester. I, it's like two years in one for me. So every semester I think I'm going to start going to the gym. And, I, you know, I'm really pretty good, maybe three, four days a week for about two weeks. And then it's about two days a week for about three weeks and then it's about a day a week that lasts for about a week and then you know by five six weeks in it's done I followed that same pattern I'm very consistent I have followed that exact same pattern I, mean, I am faithful I have been do doing that for 20 30 years now that's not real change right that's pretend change. That's pseudo change. Look at what Nehemiah and the people did. It said, in view of all this, as they realize the situation they're in, their great distress, verse 38, in view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing. Our leaders, our Levites, our priests, we're affixing our seals to it. We're in. We're going to make a commitment here. We are going to change, and we're putting it in writing. We're writing it down. We're putting it on the wall, and everybody can see whose name is on it. Those who sealed it were, guess who was first? Nehemiah, the governor. Nehemiah was not willing to say, you guys need to get, get your acts together. You guys need to get right with God. You guys need. Now, Nehemiah was the guy who had the vision from God. Nehemiah was the guy who was sacrificing, we saw, for the needs of the people. Nehemiah was the guy who, was, if anybody was spiritually right, it was Nehemiah. But he was the first one to say, yeah, I'm in. I'm putting my name on, on, on the piece of paper. I'm making this commitment. We are writing it down. And so did 
Hakaliah and Zedekiah and uh, Sariah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they all put their names on there. Everybody committed together. We need accountability. If we're going to see real change, we need people in our lives that know exactly what commitments we've made, exactly what struggles we've been having, and are willing to say, hey, <clears throat> how'd you do this week? In our battles against sin, in our battles against our flesh and against our own temptations, in our battles against our character, and in battles against the things that, that are just flawed within us, we are either fighting the battle together as a team or we're losing. You heard that, right? There's accountability in our lives. We're fighting together or just go ahead and plan on it. You, you're, you've already decided you're losing. The gym thing doesn't work because I don't go with somebody else. Not only do we need to write it down, being specific, we need, to, we need to be, not only do we need to write it down, we need to be specific about the changes that we want to see happen, about the things we know God has called us to, the time with him that he's exposed that unrighteousness or the things that just need to be different. We not only need to write it down, but we, we need to write down actually specific things. Not just generally. I want to be healthier. Okay, like how? Stop drinking soda. Oh yeah, okay. eat some vegetables. Um, go exercise a bit. It can't just be, oh, I just hope, if we do the same things that we've always been doing and expect change, it's not going to come. We need to be write down specifically what changes we want to see. And in chapter 10, we actually get the list of commitments that Nehemiah and the people were making. Let's take a look. The very first thing they committed to, this might seem strange to us, but their commitment was to only have marriage within God's people. Only marriage uh, to God's people. Leaving no room for compromise on issues of faith. That's what it was really about. In Nehemiah chapter 10, it says, We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. Let me be really clear. This is not about race. There have been times and there have been people under the Christian umbrella who have preached that, that it's like, oh, see, God wants some kind of racial purity. That is incorrect. In fact, there's nothing farther from the truth. God's commandments all the way through to his people were very consistent. That the reason he didn't want them to marry the peoples around them, the Israelites to marry the peoples around them, were because he didn't want them to be drawn away to foreign gods, to worshiping and going, following the practices of those foreign gods. We saw this even as they were about to go into the promised land. The Moabites wanted to trip them up, wanted to, to entice the people of God, and they led them through what? Sexual immorality and, 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 and relationships with their women. Hey, come meet our girls. They're really sweet. They're nice. And all of a sudden, there it was. Uh, it's called the incident of the Baal of Peor incident. I mean, it became kind of this, this mark that, hey, we just warned you guys about this. It leads us to compromise. It leads us to compromise. I was actually uh, speaking with a, a, a church doing some consulting kind of things. and This church wants to become more ethnically diverse. It wants to become a more interracial congregation. I'm like, amen, that is phenomenal. No, that's who we are supposed to be as a congregation, proclaiming to the world in a world where racism is all over the place. 
uh, where, uh, in, in a world where there's no real answers except more, it seems like, more hatred and more division. The answer, of course, is Jesus, who makes one people out of all peoples, who brings us into one kingdom. And this church that's seeking to be more ethnically diverse, I said, now you're ready for uh, interracial marriages, aren't you? And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, you know that that's where it's going to be. Because it is going to happen. In fact, as we had a, a church that was very blessed, it was multi-ethnic up at Syracuse and all young people were involved, all of a sudden all of the couples and all of the couples who got married uh, were all mixed race couples. It's going to happen because people who love the Lord and are seeking him are going to be really attractive to other people who love the Lord and who are seeking him, regardless of their race, right? And so some who are a little bit more uncomfortable with that, well, you're going to be uncomfortable. I mean, God's going to move. This was not about race, but it was absolutely, absolutely about anything that would cause compromise, things that would draw away from the worship of God and singular devotion to him. And he says, even the Apostle Paul talks about how widows can remarry, but if they remarry, he needs to belong to the Lord. He needs to belong to the Lord. Because the idea is, if you're marrying someone who is not of the Lord, they're going to pull you away. Perhaps that could even be in some of your business dealings. Perhaps that in some of how you spend your vacations. Perhaps that's in whatever it is that causes compromise, not just marriages. But whatever would cause compromise, they're like, okay, we're putting this down. Because we know this is an area we've struggled in the past. It was economically beneficial for us to have like some nice, you know, familial relationships with the peoples around us. That would help us be more prosperous. We'll, we'll give our daughters to them in marriage. And then, you know, our trade agreements will go easier. Uh, we'll have more peace. This will be more expedient for us. And they were like, no, no more of that. We need to be wholly devoted to the Lord. Anything that causes compromise, we're cutting out. Number two, here's a thing that they were really serious about. They wrote down, we're not going to break the Sabbath. What? Yeah, they closed the loopholes on the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was a day that they were supposed to devote each week to the worship of God. To being with like family, with other believers, to remind themselves of God's goodness, to remind themselves of God's provision. They were not allowed to do any work. Not only were they not supposed to do work, their regular work, they're supposed to spend that time in worship. Not only spend the time in worship, they weren't supposed to allow the other peoples, the foreigners who lived among them, to do any other work. They prioritized worship and witness over convenience. Look how it says in Nehemiah. Uh, when the neighboring peoples are bringing merchandise and grain to sell on the Sabbath... We will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. I mean, famously, Chick-fil-A is one, right, in our own neighborhood. I always want Chick-fil-A on Sundays. I don't know if you, I'm always craving, I'm like, you know, I could use a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Oh, it's Sunday, I can't go to Chick-fil-A. It's a witness. It's a reminder to me. Why am I even going out on Sunday? Now, it's not like some sacred thing like you got to have Sunday can be the only day of worship. Look at Romans 14. Some people consider all days holy. Some people worship on one day, someone or another. It's not about Sunday. It's about saying we want to keep our witness about who God is at top priority. We don't want to compromise anything about our witness. It's that holy, it's put, keeping holy what is holy, what is sacred. So if you're saying, no, Sunday is important to me, then let Sunday be important to you. And not only to you, but let it be an opportunity for witness. 
Maybe it's a commitment not to use alcohol. Once again, a disputable matter amongst believers. It's fine. Look at Romans chapter 14. But we always, if it's a way that we can be a witness, I want to prioritize my witness. I work with college students. I choose not to drink because it's a witness. They're always like, hey, and they always bring it up, especially non I, mean, I teach my ethics class and tell them I don't drink, and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. You're legal. I'm like, I'm legal, but it's not beneficial to you. I'm doing that as part of my witness. Let um, our witness be our priority. Let the things that are sacred be a priority. Putting God first. Where do you need to commit? Maybe it's just saying, you know, for our family, this is what we do on Sundays. We need to make church our priority. If Valley Baptist Church is going to go forward, can people miss Sundays? Of course. Of course they can. Can they miss lots of Sundays? Probably not be a vibrant congregation. (laughs) It's It's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be a priority in your children's life. It's not going to be a priority in your life. If we're not here and gathering together regularly, it's one of the big changes that's happened in our culture. That people are like, well, you know, I go once a month. I, I don't know that once a month is what God's calling us to. It, we need to be together. We need to prioritize the holy things. How is God calling you? Uh, what would you write down as your commitment in this next year? Number three, and this is going to push some buttons. I, I, I don't mean to push buttons, but they committed to faithfully give. Faithfully give all of the prescribed offerings. And God actually gave them a lot of prescribed offerings. <laughs> there were a lot of things they were supposed to give. Uh, their tithe and their first fruits and all these different kinds of things. There were certain special days, uh, the Passover, Yom Kippur, that they had to have a special offering prepared. Um, they committed and say, we're going to give all of the prescribed offerings. Why? Because giving our treasure helps keep our hearts in the right place. Giving our treasure keeps our hearts in the right place. Listen to what they say in verse 32 of chapter 10 of Nehemiah. He said, we assume the responsibility. It was their stewardship before God. It was their responsibility to the people of God and to the, his, his house, his, his community. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the command to give a third of the shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. Now, that was in addition to the tithe, right? This was just to help out at the church and make sure everything was fixed up and everything was taken care of. But they saw that as another responsibility. They were going to give the tithes. They were going to give the first fruits. They were going to give the Passover sacrifices. They said, we're going to give them all, all of the prescribed offerings, and we're going to make sure that the church and the house is taken care of. I think in a time of transition like this one, it's real tempting for us to pull back, right? To kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I need to be a good steward of the money that God's given, and I don't know where things are going. So I'll just kind of like, you know, I'll hold on. I'll just hold it back a little bit, and we'll, we'll see. I'll, of course, I'll give it with the interest, you know, that we make on it. Um, when we figure out where things are going. There's been some places I'm tempted to do that too, especially with missions offerings and other things. I, I'm, I'm sort of tempted right now to just kind of, I got to see where things are going. Is this really going to work? Is this really where I need to invest? Nehemiah, and then when they knew this is, hey, this is where God's leading, we got to put our hearts in. I got to, I got to commit. This is where I need to be financially. I, I think one of the challenges might be that we would give even more. Give something extra. I watched as my dad led a revitalization in a church. 
And it was interesting that that church that was, I mean, they couldn't pay their bills. They went from not paying their bills to, to, to thriving. He, he began with a challenge. Would you give an extra dollar a day? I thought, well, that's a silly challenge. I'd begin somewhere else. Then you'd begin spiritually. No, they needed to begin. But I think my dad understood something. That is, the people just gave that extra dollar a day and $30 a month. Maybe for some people it would be $5 a day, if, depending on their, on their wealth. But just begin with giving a little bit. That it re-wed their hearts to the mission of God. Jesus said it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. Sometimes we need to give just because it puts our hearts and our attention into the kingdom of God rather than ourselves. Maybe it's an extra gift right now. Finally, and this goes along with the offerings, they said we're going to give our first fruits and the firstborn. What was that? Well, it wasn't just the regular giving. But it was that bonus. Whenever anything came down the line, I want to remember that God is my first priority. And so these first fruits of any of my time, hey, it's my vacation. This, oh, I've been waiting for vacation for so long. Uh, I can't wait till summer. College, college people, <laughs> I can't wait till summer. I mean, I love what we're doing. I can't wait till summer. <laughs> I'm just telling you. What if the first day of summer was that day that I didn't spend before God? A first fruit. What if the first day of vacation, before we go anywhere or do anything else, we only have seven? Yeah, I think that's the point. God, make the rest of the vacation awesome, but I want to give this day to you. What, if, what are your first fruits reminding us to prioritize God in all things of our lives? Nehemiah, they said, we also assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. Verse 36, and as it's also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of, of our cattle, of our herds and our flocks to the house of the Lord, to the priests who are ministering there. What was this? It was a dedication. Here's a birth of a new child. Here's a birth of a new you know, flock from your herds. You're going to bring it, and some you sacrifice. Some, of course, you redeem the children. Uh, but it was a reminder that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And the Lord has priority in all of my life. It all belongs to him. So every new first, every new birth, every new job, every new experience, I want to give a portion of that. The very first thing I want to do is to pray or to get dedicate time or to dedicate something financially or to dedicate something that reminds me that God is first in my life. Chapter 10 verse 39 ends with this. We will not neglect the house of our God. And there it is, Valley Baptist Church. We will not neglect the house of our God. In your prayers, how are you praying for Valley Baptist Church? In your finances, how are you giving to the work of Valley Baptist Church? In your attention throughout the day, how are you thinking about what God wants to do at Valley Baptist Church? We're not going to neglect the house of our God. They were rebuilding the wall. But Nehemiah brought them back to, yeah, I know we're putting things back together, 
but it's that spiritual center, that house of the Lord in my life, that presence of God in my life, me being the temple of God, me working together with God's people as together his body, that becomes what's most important, not a physical structure, of course, but his people walking in his ways. Today is a pretty interesting passage. It's a passage I think that we actually need to spend some more time with. I don't think it's something you can do in 30 minutes. So the challenge is, when will you commit time to the Lord? To really figure out, number one, what are the things that you need to cut out? Things that cause compromise in your life. Whether it's how you're spending time, whether it's entertainment, whether it's things you're spending your money in, whether it's things you're obsessed with that just need to go away for a little bit. Or maybe forever. They cause compromise in your walk with God. How are you prioritizing worship? How are you putting God's things first in your life and using that to be a witness? This is where I'm at on Sunday mornings. This is where I'm at on Wednesday nights. This is what I do with my money. How are you giving faithfully? How are you giving faithfully? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. If you're holding back I mean, all, and not committed to the Lord's work, I'm telling you, your heart's not going to be dedicated to the Lord. It, 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 just, it, it just can't. If you're saying, well, I mean, I, I just love God spiritually, but not financially. I'm telling you, <laughs> the things we spend our money on, that's what we treasure. And finally, what are some new things that you're going to do this year that would, like, every, like the new first, the things that you need to remind yourself, every first day of the week, every first hour of the day, every first... Where will you dedicate the first things to the Lord? So what needs to go on your commitment? I don't know what it is, but you need to be specific. And number two, who needs to sign that list with you? Husbands, is this something you do with your wives? Wives, is this something that you challenge your husbands to do with you? Parents with your children, brothers with sisters, friends with friends, church members with church members, accountability partners with accountability partners. Who needs to sign the list with you as you go forward? This could be some interesting conversations this week as we learn how to seek the Lord together. If we're going to be the people of God, being the people of God, it begins with change. I want to be different. I want to be changed. That's what we sang. Will you make that commitment to follow Jesus? And if you've never asked him to be your savior, would you respond? Would you make that commitment to Jesus? Say, you know, I do want that forgiveness, that new life, and I want to be part of this community in this body. You can reach out to the leadership transition team or speak to me after the service if you're here about what it is to follow Jesus as your savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the model that, that Nehemiah was to us, leading his people, your people, into times of real commitment. God, would you lead us in that time in your presence so we might know the, what you are calling us to and let us be yours. Let us be changed. We pray all of these things in the name of our great author and perfecter of our faith, the great change agent, Jesus our King. Amen.